Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Las Vegas, where anything goes. Enjoy it while you can. I'm about to end it all. My name is Aaron Brand. I always thought I was doing the right thing and preparing for life. I was the first in my class in college in computer science. I joined the military and became a fighter pilot and won many medals for distinguished service. I'm now a covert agent, a mercenary for any nation that wants to control another. I don't need much to live on anymore. I just eat tuna out of the can and live in the car. I control access to anything and everything even from my little, simple, brilliant setup. My orders from another country are to shut down the Las Vegas Strip for two months. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome along to this special, uh, I guess, episode, Patreon edition release for The Worst Idea of All Time, in which myself, Guy Montgomery, and my esteemed associate, Tim Bat have just watched the first of uh, what became a pretty girthy canon in Neil Breen's filmography, the 2005 critical and blockbuster smash Double Down, an edgy action thriller set in Las Vegas during a terrorist attack. A brilliant computer loner takes control of the city in the attack as he fights with his fits of overwhelming depression and obsessions with love and death. Tim, how are you? Uh, I'm depressed and anxious, confused and aroused. No, I'm good, man. I So, watching conditions were an interesting one today. Uh, woke up in the morning, and um, so Zoe, my now wife, gets ready for work pretty pretty crack of to go and fix all the people, being a doctor. And usually I lie in bed like the piece of shit I am for another sort of 90 minutes or so uh, while I mentally Beautiful. prepare for the day. But uh, this morning, she, she came back out of the shower and was doing her hair and stuff and saw me with a... <laughs> Tablet fixed to my face, just absorbing uh, the one remaining gem that we haven't absorbed yet of of the Brainiverse, and uh, it was a pretty wild way to watch. I had a lot of nightmares last night, and I think it was because I knew what was coming this morning. And weirdly, this probably isn't related, but I noticed I've got like a bunch of scratch marks on my belly that were not there when I went to sleep, and I do not know how they got there. So I think the brain has uh, performed some sort of stigmata ritual upon me. That is uh, certainly eerie stuff. Un- unknown, unidentified scratch marks. Are you sure Zoe wasn't getting uh, freaky with you while you slept? It's or maybe literally- you weren't nervously 
nervously itching during the film? Look, I mean, guy, you know this about me. I bite my damn nails. I don't think I could give myself those marks if I wanted to, you know? It's a real mystery. The only thing I could think of is is maybe Zoe's diamond ring. But I, that would wake me up. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, I had a very uh, restless sleep knowing what was coming this morning uh, and then started my day off right with a bit of brain in my face. Understood. Just for those of you listening, if you missed it, you did hear the words diamond ring. A very cool. Do you sleep <laughs> with your wedding ring on, Tim? Yeah, I do. I actually, it's it's off right now because I take it off all the time. But yeah, nah, it's on. <laughs> that is the most suspicious behavior. Yeah, it's always I on when I'm in my marital bed. But as soon as I'm up and at it. <laughs> I do it with my watch as well. Whenever I'm like, because I don't wear jewelry. If I'm wearing anything, I'll like sort of play with it and I'll take it off while I'm doing shit. Anywho, uh, hey, listen, I'm going to open up with this guy. I kind of reckon this was Neil Breen's best movie. What say you to that? Uh, interesting and somewhat valid. I just, I mean, actually, I'll let, I'll let you uh, share forth with why you think this is. And then I've got, I have a reason which I, I mean, I don't find, I don't think any of his films qualify as his best. I think that uh, <laughs> that would insinuate that there's some value in any of them. But I, I think I, I understand why you might have found this to be his best and so you tell me and then I'll, I'll validate it against what I've written down there is story there is a somewhat cohesive story to what's happening we've got a character what I liked in this one is that at the start of the film he just front loaded with a whole bunch of exposition he was like here's what we're doing today and we got there to is- know that he he had a childhood sweetheart she died he is the smartest computer hacker on earth. Um, he has magical powers, which he gets pretty early in the what, film. But it, He's always got magical powers and he's always good with computers. But I actually wrote down, the first thing I wrote down when I was watching it was, intro, not long enough. You've got to respect Neil Breen's, you know, uh, his, his uh, what's the word? His sort of Restraint. belief or commitment to... No, just to abiding the main tenet of film, which is always show, don't tell. You just got to, you know, you got to tip the hat at the amount of exposition done in his relentless, never-ending opening monologue, which, if you're curious, Tim, and I think the listener might be, I have in front of me. What do you have in front of you? My name is Aaron Brand. I always thought I was doing the right thing in preparing for life. I was the first in my class in college in computer science. I joined the military and became a fighter pilot. I won many medals for distinguished service. I've always between this world and the other. I'm now a covert agent, mercenary for any nation that wants to control another. I met the love of my life when I was seven and stayed with her forever. We loved each other and we're getting married. I joined my country's secret strategic support branch of the Defense Intelligence Agency to fight terrorism around the world and became the best agent they ever had. (laughs) (laughs) I developed a way to control any computer or satellite the government had. The fact that I became so digitally, electronically powerful scared my government as well as others. It was that power that caused them to assassinate my fiance and break my heart forever. It caused me to reevaluate what I was doing for my country and that maybe other countries would be interested in my services. After all, 
I controlled access to the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. I control access to anything and everything, even from my little simple brilliant setup. <laughs> Which that I just like to insert. Mm. Yeah, it got me too because like not five or ten minutes later he, he runs through also in uh you know, in monologue, his brilliant setup, which is uh satellite dishes, five laptops, six cell phones. And that's all he puts on the list. But the other big ticket item that cannot be mentioned enough is tuna. Tuna is and lots this, it is the star of this film. <laughs> it is the uncredited hero of the adventure that we're on the entire time tuna saves the day tuna is what this film is all about (laughs) so we are led to believe no not led to believe we are told explicitly by this story's narrator that this is a super genius this is the smartest man that's ever lived and he lives in his car in the arizona desert and he subsists entirely on tinned tuna that's it. That's all he eats. It's and all he needs. You got you. It's a it's a Mercedes. I'm not sure what era, but they're leather seats. All I could think when I'd see shots of him waking up in the beating Nevadan sun was that's going to get so hot. Yeah, he's frequently sleeping next to the car though, which I find very strange. He's um he's often just on the ground in the beating sun, like falling asleep. I'm like, dude, slip slop slap and wrap. Which is um, As, perhaps not a turn of phrase familiar to our American listeners, but in New Zealand, you get taught the sun is not to be trifled with. You put a hat on, you chuck some sunblock on there, son. That's right. Do you know why, America? Because we are beneath a gaping hole that you and no small part have assisted by pumping your dastardly greenhouse gases into the sky. New Zealand and Australia, the sun is a different beast. Truly it is. Tim? Yes. Would you like me to continue to to finish off this monologue, and then you oh, can so continue sorry. telling me why you done. think? No, 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 no. There's a little bit more, uh, and then you can continue telling me why you think this is his greatest work. Uh, and I, uh, Let's I think do that. Sorry, I'm nodding. We're on video Skype. I can yeah. nod at Guy. You go, Guy. I feel like we're on the same page. Uh, so, uh, after my little simple, brilliant setup, my girlfriend and I always wanted to have children, and now all of that's been taken away from me. I work as a freelance agent now for many countries, making millions of dollars on many various covert assignments. Interesting that he would have the option to not live in his car off of canned tuna, and yet he does. I've been giving away the money to children's support charities all over the world, orphanages, hospitals, and schools, and to support the evacuees of natural catastrophes all over the world, like hurricanes, like Katrina. I can do better for them than most mismanagement mismanaged and dishonest governments can my orders from another country are to shut down the las vegas strip for two months and that's the entry point to the film i yeah it's his big big job in the film i thought it was one month that is that is what that's what we're all here to do we're all here it's kind of like an it's an ocean's 11 right if you had done the most amount of mescaline you can do before you die and your brain has uh, damaged itself irrevocably and then you set out to write a film. I'd like to say, uh, now this might be recency biased, but um, on a flight as recently as yesterday, in fact, 
I watched uh, Michael Bay's 1996 action thriller, The Rock. And Neil Is Breen... Is an Escape from Alcatraz one? Or am I thinking of yeah, Sean Connery's so it's, The Rock? It's, no, Wait, no, did Michael Bay Sean direct Connery's, that? Yeah, yeah. So you've got Connery, Cage... Nick Cage, Ed Harris, uh, and Ed Harris is like he's a mercenary who uh, is he's frustrated by the U.S. government's treatment of like uh, war, you know, victims of war, and so he takes Alcatraz with a bunch of tourists as hostage. He takes Alcatraz and he's got like uh, chemical weapons pointed at San Francisco, and uh, you know he's he wants a hundred million dollars or he's going to blow them up. And Nick Cage and Sean Connery essentially an odd couple have to work together. And I couldn't help but see a lot of similarities. Only the the key difference is Neil Breen has cast himself in every role. So, <laughs> whereas in The Rock you've got someone playing, you know, like the bioterrorist, uh, you know, you know, like an, a chemist essentially. Nick Cage is like a, he he can fix all the you know bioterrorism that's being threatened. Sean Connery is the sort of uh, he's a master of you know various different things. And then uh, Ed Harris is the mercenary. Neil Breen's literally taken upon him all of that conflict and all of that responsibility and put and boiled it down to to one role. We're dealing with similar similar themes, uh, and it's, incre- it's incredible. Sort of are. It's it's interesting. This is how Neil Breen works, though. Usually, in it's like he's writing a book, but in the movie. Because usually when you're dealing with the medium of film, you can show people stuff so you do. So you tend towards the visual. Um, But what Neil Breen does, especially in this film, is for the big ticket items, he will generally describe what he's trying to do out loud rather than show you those things. Because it's easier. And in some ways, perhaps that is um, something that more storytellers should should take advantage of in film. Tim, that is exactly why I suspected you've you found this to be his most comprehensive or uh, satisfying work, because he literally he grew in confidence from making this and thought he would start experimenting with alternative storytelling techniques like dialogue, uh, and that didn't work out so well for him. But if he like, it does have you know the central conceit of a story is there the whole time because if you ever if you ever lost if you ever at bay like whenever you get bored which happens inevitably in every Neil Breen film he's mm. right there and is like monotonous drone but he is right there to say hey here's what's happening in this movie right now and it does it just sort of keeps things as close to on track as possible it's a poorly yeah. made train but it's a train yeah um however this shouldn't be conflated with the story itself making any sense so the the train no, that no, we're no, no. <laughs> the train that we're on is uh, misshapen, and he's used sort of like old cartwheels from uh, from stagecoaches of old, uh, fixed to some sort of locomotive device. Which we're not even sure how the thing's being powered. To be honest, he keeps shoveling cats into a fire, and the thing keeps going forward. Uh, but he does sort of at length explain to you what we are on. Even Absolutely. It shouldn't work, and it doesn't. And to, to to further that analogy, I'd like to say that, you know, in spite of a, a rather large body of evidence that this is not the best train that's ever been made or a train that would warrant, you know, uh, making more trains necessarily or trying to refine the current model you're on, he has taken this experience as a huge vote of confidence at Breen Engineering Co. 
Uh, <laughs> and I think that's why the, the trains that have followed have just <laughs> barely resembled trains. Because, <laughs> you know, because he, hey dear, he sort of this did This one's it. not even... This doesn't go on tracks anymore. What you've done is you've got a, a can of Axe body spray and you've lit the end of the nozzle on fire and then you've, you've tied it to a paper aeroplane. I mean, what are we dealing with here, Brain? That's, that's exactly the thing. Uh, and it's just... I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, Also, it's probably the most uh, beautifully shot in a weird way. Was it shot on film? Because it had all of that, like, all of the grain and stuff that you associate Hi. with... I noticed that as well. I would i actually googled it briefly but i couldn't find an answer but i suspect it was shot on uh super 8 8 millimeter because it does it, it looks way nicer than his other like digital films and it gives it this nice kind of weird music video vibe to it it's quite cool yeah it kind of it kind of elevates it it does yeah it's quite a forgiving format because any poor artistic choice you make as long as it's bold enough comes across as just like super artful when you're shooting on film yeah, and I, I mean, I guess it's not a bad order to watch the Breen films to see this one last because it does, I think, give you a nice idea of the full circle that he, you know, the the an idea of his creative process through the ages, uh, it, because he, he he returns to similar uh, motifs, similar themes, obviously. I mean, don't uh, say corrupt- similar guy. He's made the same film four ish <laughs> times now, and we've watched them all. There's always. So many laptops, it is absurd. Like, the guy loves... The more laptops he can fit in a movie, the better. So frequently in this film, we are treated to Neil Breen desperately tapping buttons on clearly off laptops that are just sitting around in his in the trunk of his car. He just pulls out five laptops and he'll start tapping, like, one key over and over again. The screen's not on, <laughs> Breen. You're not... Do- I don't care if you've got a satellite dish hanging outside you know, the, the tail end of your car. The fucking laptop's not turned on, my dude. It's, the screen is never on. It's true. Uh, it's also, it's it's less intense, but there is uh, one very uncomfortable nude scene in this film, although either to his credit or detriment, possibly both, uh, it's the first sighting of Breen Balls that I've ever seen. There's a weird reverse shot where he's pantsless and just poking out between his two, his two legs and his... Uh, monumental thigh gap which really was fucking chubbing me up something chronic uh you just see a little essence of scrotum peeping through the curtains is this on the water that you're talking about yeah yeah it was when he's side by side with his uh deceased fiance he's sort of floating as though he's dead in solidarity i think I think it's worth setting this up a little bit. There's a scene where we are treated to like a flashback of him proposing to this woman who gets shot at the start of the... This actually, do you know what? Good on him for messing around with the chronology stuff as well. That's kind of neat. Nice little attempt at sort of a memento. Man, that's the, that's the luxury of an absolutely total, uh, you know, voiceover narrative is that you can essentially get in there and do whatever you want and then just explain it away in the booth. Have a good muck around. So we see him, uh, yeah, in a hot pool or something, or a swimming pool, and uh, he's, you know, we assume he's in trunks or something, which is fine. We're just shooting from the the top half up. But the woman that he's with, his fiancée, is deeply uncomfortable to be being filmed 
uh, topless. I thought she was naked, but then there's a close-up and it reveals that she's wearing like flesh-coloured, uh, small um, The insinuation bottoms. certainly was meant to be that she is naked. She couldn't look more uncomfortable. The angle that she is on while talking to Brain is like hiding every inch of her body possible from the camera, which, you know, good call. Good call, you. Uh, you were not in a safe environment. That was the right move. And it must be hard for actors because you never... It's, this was his first film. You don't know if you're actually dealing with a genius that you just kind of don't understand yet. And you, you've often got to throw yourself at the mercy of these these madmen. Luckily, this woman held back a bit. Um, so anyway, she gets killed and her lifeless body is floating on the water face down. And uh, <laughs> Brain lets out a very funny cry when she dies. And then he joins her on the water. So they're like two sea otters hand in hand but he's not dead he just assumes the same position she's in but obviously dude's got um floatable balls attached to him so we we get a little taste and it's you know it's all it's uh he, he goes back on that in future films it's you know it was the brain of times it was the brain of times uh but i thought it's the first time I've seen Breen go whole hog in terms of nudity offered. Uh, and, well, not whole hog, but, you know, he was pushing the limits of his own comfortability, I think. He, had, he was young at the time as well. This is the most handsome Breen we've had. That's the first thing I thought. It was probably also because it's shot on what you called Super 8 or whatever, but, like, and it's the youngest he is in any of the films. And it's probably, there's an element of release, I think, where it's like, I know that it's almost over, so I can allow, I can let my guard down a little bit. I can let Breen in which is a great name for a doco uh, for Neil <laughs> Let Breen. Let Breen in. <laughs> Let the Breen in. Well, what about... Is the there, thing is, it's, is all, there something it's called, all... There's something called Lean In? The perfect amount of delay on this uh, connection that this will probably keep happening. The thing is, is it's all comparative, as you were saying about the film. So the handsomest Breen is still Neil Breen at the end of the day. What I chortled at heartily at the beginning is that we are led to be uh we are led to believe that he is the same age as the woman that he's with which is obviously untrue it is so apparently untrue because he says we met when we were seven and then we see two children who are the same age and then it like flashes forward breen's got a good 15 years on this woman i think absolutely it's like you can't just say stuff, Neil. It's like you have to make it believable. You can't just say anything. But I, I kind of. But again, this is his oeuvre, isn't it? It's just like, guess what? I am the smartest man alive. I'm a super genius computer hacker, and the government's after him. It's like, oh, okay. This, okay, I love it. Here we are. The thing is, there's a certain, uh, you know, delightfully consistently flawed logic in thinking that if people are still watching this movie after. Th- an hour that he hypothetically could call the president and say, it's me. Give me the president contact has been made. And within the world of the film, why wouldn't that happen? Because so far, literally anything, you know, like anything he says can happen. He can will anything into existence, which is why he vaguely explained that Toby's got magic powers. Cause otherwise you can't, you can't break into this impenetrable world. As soon as you know he's got magic powers, he's the best computer hacker in the world, he's forlorn, he's heartbroken, he's love lost, you know, anything's possible. 
However, does he have magical powers? Because in an accidentally like self-referencing bit of the film, which I find so fucking funny, he somehow just comes to the belief all by himself that he is endowed with these magical powers because he finds a bit of pyrite, otherwise known as fool's gold, which he holds up to the sun in awe of. And then he's like, well, I'm, I'm magic now. That's me. Then he's at dinner, which is never explained, with some family. It's not his. It's definitely not his family. There is a little girl. There's a dude. There's maybe a woman as well. And they have a very strange conversation where Neil Breen, apropos of nothing, explains that he is uh, delighted and bemused by the fact that everyone gets his job wrong, being a freelance intelligence-styled kind of maverick assassin. He says everyone thinks it's explosions and gunfire all the time, but it's not. It's quiet. We, we, we do our things on computers digitally. And then... The girl goes and gets Breen a glass of water, I think. And while she's out of the room, the dad... As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It announces that she, she's got brain cancer and a very Tommy Wiseau kind of a reveal. And then she comes back in, brain puts his hand on her head... Again, we don't know what the fucking connection or relationship is with Breen and this family. And then, I think later on it's a real... You, you know what he thinks he's doing. It's obvious to the audience what he thinks he's doing. But then he explains it. He's like, 
I'm pretty sure I cured that girl's brain cancer. <laughs> and it's like, why would you? Why would you think that? What would lead you to believe that? And then later in the film, um, he gets very confused because it turns out he has not cured the girl's brain cancer. So he introduces this magical thread. The only time he uses it is to attempt to cure this girl's brain cancer. It doesn't fucking work. So it turns out Neil Breen has been the fulsome idiot we suspected the whole time by his own creation and admission. Yeah, it's I hadn't even considered that. It's true. He he really uh seeds and then follows up on his own shortcomings, which is not something we get we get to see again. It's it's the most vulnerable Breen. <laughs> it's uh it's the Breen machine, man. And obviously, uh, maybe I'm just getting soft in my old shade, <laughs> old age. Are. Sorry, but uh, but what you know, he's he's done. Wor- you're right. He's done worse. Uh, I mean, but isn't that wh- how isn't y- that the most brain thing possible in a film career that we've watched it out of order and we come upon his first film and we're like, you know what, this one's the best. The man's learnt nothing. Not only has he learnt nothing, he's getting worse as they go along. Because I really do stand yeah. by the fact that this is the strongest outing. Well, it's it's sort of um the what yeah it is, and the way it's told, because all of his films have this sort of they're all so they're all so obviously it's like uh, a friend trying to articulate their drug trip or a, or maybe you know like it's so clearly so vivid to him everything he's communicating and experiencing <laughs> and trying to say. It yeah. means so much to him, and it's so important that he lays this down so that everyone else can can have access to the same materials and understand the world as he does. But like, it's all in such soft focus. Like, it's it's he can't quite grasp the the essence of the of the dream, I guess. Uh, and so you know that's why a lot of it it's it, it's it's tough to tough to understand exactly what he's saying. it's someone in a foreign language trying to explain something to you very complex and neither of you share a large vocabulary um there's the odd word here and there which is acts as a bit of a rosetta stone between your understandings but by and large there's someone who absolutely knows what they're trying to say and is talking very quickly and loudly at you and explaining very complicated things uh, but you just you can't, there's no entry point. It's impossible I mean, and, for us to understand. And we've all been guilty of it. I mean, you know, there are things that will appear in everyone's mind's eye, which is so clear to them. And then it's you know, it's, there's no worse. And this is what you respect. This is what you got to respect about him. There's no worse feeling than trying to catch onto one of those moments or articulate uh, that that feeling or that idea to someone and not being able to do it. And then you catch yourself in the middle of the thought and you think oh shit, do I sound like a raving lunatic right now? And that's what separates the Breens from the, the, boys. the non-Breens. Yeah, is uh, he has never caught himself mid-thought and thought, hold on, <laughs> I'm maybe not articulating myself very clearly here. <laughs> uh, what's some other stuff that's in how this you, movie I liked? That's how you fucking get four feature-length films under <laughs> your belt, Tim. Don't pause to think. That's why the first season of the podcast worked. I don't. I yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't want to drag this back to politics as well. But honestly, this is how we wound up with Trump as well. If at no point you analyze what you're doing critically, you are unstoppable. 
You are an unstoppable force. No one can stop you. <laughs> because so much of our society, and we didn't really know this until Brain pulled out all these movies and Trump got elected, uh, was being held back by people's own sense of sort of embarrassment or um, just a, a lack of total self-aggrandizement or complete ego. Yeah. Uh, in the face of so much evidence to the contrary about how good you really are at your chosen thing. Um, but if you just believe it in your heart and you ignore all the evidence, you, there's that brain train, it runs on dreams. That's why we don't understand it. That's why the physics of it don't work. That's why, from an engineering perspective, the whole thing is nonsense. Because this is a vehicle fueled on dreams. That's right. And what I the what I liked about this film as well, which I wish he had used more in his other films, he uses it a little bit but not as much, is his uh, very liberal use of stock footage. It's everywhere. We're treated to <laughs> interiors of sort of a NASA control room scenario. There's a bald eagle staring at the camera for various moments. There's a it's large great. amount of birds taking flight. Uh, there's some beautiful shots of the, I think, Either Hoover Dam, maybe even the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's sort of it's used uh, liberally and without any regard for what it's contributing to the story. Tim, so long as we're here, though, as we have championed the idea that he's almost cobbled together a cohesive whole here, and I struggled uh, through the middle to last parts with following exactly what was happening. His mission, as we understand, is to shut down the Las Vegas Strip for two months. Yeah. Who is he doing this for? How is he going about it? And what are the results? I, I, unless I miss something, I don't think it's ever made clear exactly who this is for. He does make reference to the fact that he works for various world governments and just like a lot of different players. And uh, I don't think he ever explicitly says who this one's for. His plan of attack, as I understand it, is to use the satellite network that he's hacked into to release a electromagnetic pulse above Las Vegas that will take out all the electrics. But then he also dabbles in... Uh, what's that powder called that kills you? Anthrax. Anthrax. There's some anthrax stuff in there as well. There's one moment, there's a sequence where he's walking down the strip and he has a bag of flour, which we are told to believe is anthrax. And he rubs it on someone's arm, and he's like, I'm a master of disguise. I am undetectable. No one will know <laughs> that I've released anthrax. It's like, you just put a bunch of flour on a guy's arm. He definitely felt that. He's like, that man won't even know, but he'll be dead within five minutes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. A guy would definitely both see and feel what you've just done. Also, he is, he's just putting it on his arm with his own bare hand. The idea that exposure to no, anthrax in this way will... Ki- Be fair oh, to brain. So he's wearing a surgical glove at that point. I missed the, I I missed the glove. And that, I think that papers over all remaining questions. <laughs> <laughs> now, his plan, again, as I understood it from the pigeon film... Well, that's the only way to understand language, it, Tim. <laughs> is uh, he has set up diversions... I think to draw away the authorities away from the central point of the Las Vegas Strip when the big shit happens. So, 
there's other events like bombs, timed bombs or something. I don't even know if he explicitly says what those other diversions are, but there's other diversions in surrounding towns that he's set up. And he says at the end that he doesn't know if he... He's like run out of time to stop the diversions, but he can... He has a, a, a crisis of conscience where he pounds the ground of the Las Vegas, Nevada desert. And he says, damn it, I can't do it. I'm an American. I love this country. I'm an American. In an act yeah. of unbridled patriotism and decides that he uh, he can't go through with the terrorist plot after all. So he, tr- he, he tries to undo it. Again, and honestly, I just watched it. I can't remember what happened at the end and I just watched it. We've got the usual pantheon of a senator, uh, some intelligence officials who we're led to believe are the CIA and FBI barreling the camera while a sky background is is the backdrop for their head saying, go to code orange, go to code red. That's right. Evacuate the hotel. He also also says, I've uh, organized a conference call and then the footage... The, the footage that is laid beneath that audio track is him standing in the desert with three different, like, two early Flip 2000 phones. cell phones held up next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my God. This idea of how... Do you know, this was a movie that I... I one of my early thoughts was, I really want to know... If he can operate a computer in real life, even now in 2018, because oh. he's such a fan of the potential of computers, <laughs> but I don't think he has any understanding of how they work at all. That's right. They're, they're versatile for him, though, because they explain away a lot of like his assumption is that anyone watching one of his movies knows nothing of computers or technology because it's literally like. Oh yeah, I'm really good with computers. While well, he holds up six computers, and you imagine that the brainheads, the brainiacs, are gonna go, "Oh yeah, look at that! Six computers! You gotta be kidding me!" What world does it mean you're good at something to have six? Of the thing? It's like I am the world's greatest skateboarder. I have half a dozen skateboards. This is how Tony Hawk got to where he is today. He just he like would skate on four skateboards simultaneously. They have two on each feet. It would hold and brandish various skateboards. Oh, man. He's got a satellite dish that he rolls around with in his car and the boat just (laughs) rattling around with an unimaginably large amount of tin tuna. There's also a great shot we haven't spoken about We give a shot of it. He shows us there's so much tuna. When he first introduces tuna, he's saying, uh, "I live in my I live in my car and I eat nothing but tuna," and he spills a lot of tuna on his crotch, and he goes to the trouble of including in the film him pulling over, like to deal with the tuna spillage he's had. It's, this is it's not a smart man. This is not a genius computer hacker who uh, who has captured the digital sphere. I, I don't know, man. Um, do you know what was good about this one as well was the music? The soundtracking I actually found compelling and emotive. I think a lot of um, classical sort of stock music, I think, which like sort of almost choral kind of uh, Christian chanting or, you know, yeah, psalm-like yeah. or hymn-like, uh, which certainly set quite a 
quite a distinct tone as opposed to kind of the dross that I think he conducts himself in future films. It gives it, um, it, it elevates it. It does elevate it, that's for sure. Can I share with you something I saw in the credits, though? <coughs> if you would. I, I the, didn't watch the credits this time. This is the first time I've ever seen this. And it might be another bit too, but this is, this is the bit where I caught it and I took a screenshot, which I will share online. Um, sound recording. Eduardo uh, Bijirano. Boom. Maurice Jolly. Lighting. None. Makeup in here. None. None. Not even He's not mentioned, specifically head. listed and established that there was no one doing it. It's like he's gone, oh, fuck. He's gotten to the end of the film and gone, that's a thing that is in other movies. I should put that in the credits, but, uh, you know, no one was doing it, so I'll, I'll just put none. And then, of course, we have the I... regular locations, Neil Breen, catering. <laughs> Who do you think? It's Neil Breen, of course. Cast. Aaron Brand. Okay, can I can I ask you this? Do you think, aside from his filmmaking, the on camera, the post production stuff, do you think his uh, abilities as a maybe as the catering have improved over the course of his filmmaking career? It's really hard to tell. I would actually say probably based based on the evidence we're presented with in this film, all of the actors seem uh, cagey and a little pissed off, and I know better than anyone generally that is a sign of low blood sugar. Well, can I say, uh, tellingly though, or maybe this is a sign that while uh, while he makes small improvements, it's never enough. Not a lot of repeat performances in the Breenverse. Uh, you know, you've got Neil Breen holding the fort time and again, and then virtually all of the supporting players sort of fade into the background, either out of embarrassment, maybe he's never been satisfied by the performance of anyone else, Uh but you know, maybe right. it's the catering. But it's worth saying, I think I've seen a single repeat performer in a Breen film, save for Neil himself. I think you're right, and it's no, well, it's not a huge cast, but it's not no one. We're often treated um, to like three seconds of a senator on screen. I think it'd be fair to say that's a bit of a red flag, isn't it? If you're looking at the canon of any director and they fail to draw one person to the filmmaking experience twice. Yeah. You gotta say, well, it's probably something you're doing. If you think of all the greats, Scorsese, Jim Cameron, Scorsese and Jim Cameron, they often go back to the same people that they know and love and have worked with and developed a relationship. But you're right. I'd be very, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know if there's been any uh, performers who have worked with Breen on several films. Or indeed anyone. Um, that includes boom operators, gaffers, best boys, whatever. Well, I feel like after his first filmmaking experience, whereas a lot of other people will say, uh, okay, now I'm, I'm moving on in my career, let's upscale, let's get more hands on deck. It seems to me like Neil Breen said, I can do this. What, are you just standing there holding a fucking uh, microphone pack? I can do that. <laughs> this is why he'll forever be a man after my own heart because that is often an approach that I will take as well uh, to similar results. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, do you have anything else to add about Double Down Tim uh, I don't know where the title came from do you I think he, I think his friend or his like frenemy his best frenemy Beale Nreen probably said I think I'm going to make a short film talking about everything that's wrong with the world and Neil thought double down on that 
I'm going to make a feature. Fuck you, Beale Nreen. <laughs> because certainly yeah, nothing in the film su- suggested. That's good. I like that a lot. Uh, I'd like to say that I think you should watch this one. Um, if you've been interested in these other reviews, I think give this this one's the easiest watch, I think. It's a crisp 90 minutes. There's a bit going on. We're in several locations. Music will keep trekking along. You're treated to a whole bunch of stock footage. Uh, the performances yeah. are not good, but interesting. Actually, I'd just quickly like to put in uh, a scene or a sequence that we've glossed over entirely in spite of it being almost interesting plot-wise and certainly... Well, yeah, certainly interesting in some regard. At one point, he takes... There's two couples who have just gotten married in Las Vegas, and he drugs a strawberry to give to oh, yeah. one of them to, to like I pass out, that. and and then he he sort of drugs both of the newlyweds, and he takes the man's body and he you know drags him out somewhere in the desert, and then he goes back into the car he's driving where he was previously just the cab driver, and says to the woman, uh, "Like we're married now. Welcome to Las Vegas, baby." And she says no, and he goes, yeah. And then he gets on the phone and he said, I've done the job to whoever he's being a mercenary for. And they say, you got the wrong couple. So he's got to go back and try and right this wrong. He first of all drags the still conscious woman he's just told he's married Mm. to the unconscious body of her new husband. And just as a, a quick addendum to that, he has written into the script that after waking up and being very in a confusing car with a stranger and being told she's just gotten married, she actually comes around to the idea after 15 seconds. She's like, oh, no. He's like, I don't want this marriage anymore. This marriage is over. When he finds out he's killed the wrong dude. And she's like, oh, no, no. we. <laughs> I, I still want to be married to you. And yeah. yeah. So the guy has been killed. She is in a drug-induced amnesia state. He drops her off. Bless you. And then he travels to try and find the other couple who he was supposed to kill in the first place, which he comes upon sitting on a rock, weirdly. And they've got red um, paint, uh, sort of Bindi style, on their forehead. And then he says, oh, they took their own lives. They knew what was coming. Fucking nothing has happened here, mate. You've got to do a better job at makeup than that if you're going to try and sell some gunshot wounds. And plus, no one would shoot themselves in the forehead. It's crazy. No, yeah, it's it's wild stuff. Certainly, the oh, fact the that skeleton as well. Look, we've got to bring up the skeleton. <laughs> you know, before we started remembering all these superfluous details, the movie probably came close to sounding like it was, uh, comp- not comprehensive. I don't know, like comprehensible. Made sense. Yes, that's the one. There so close, those words. A kind of a body bag that's sitting out in the desert, which I understood to be where he slept, which was insane because obviously it's going to get so hot in there that you die. And also because obviously he sleeps in his car. Yeah. But there's a moving, wriggling like body in there at one point for a shot, which I, I don't think is explained. And then at one point, maybe one of the people who he kills is put in there. And then at one point he opens it up and it's a skeleton. So I don't fucking know what that means. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, well, I have no guesses. <laughs> okay. uh, look, I I would agree with you, Tim. I think if you are going to dip your toe, uh, this is the one for it. I'm not going to go on record as saying it's his best film, but I will say 
Uh, it was the least upset I've been while watching a Breen film. And it was the most alone I've been as well. So maybe that goes to say something about watching movies with you either in person or digitally, Tim. What do you mean? I mean anything by it. Just a man speaking his mind. I don't even think that's How are you true. Anyway? We haven't watched the rest of these together, have we? We must have watched. We watched one together, definitely. At least one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, at least one. Yeah, definitely. But not all the others. Um, <clears throat> yeah, look, I'm, I'm all right. I, I feel like I've come out of the, the cloud. It's, you know, we're heading into mid-morning now, local time. So I'm feeling a little bit better. Probably overdue for a coffee, all things being equal. But um, no, do you know what? In spite of the nightmares and the stigmata that I sustained last night from anxiety about this watch, I didn't like the film, but I didn't hate it nearly as much as I was anticipating. Could have been worse. And isn't that, at the end of the day, what we're all aiming for? Isn't that Thanks. the entry point to blend into society? For someone to look at the body of your work and say, well, you know what, Tim? It could have been worse. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. If you'd like to uh, find Guy Montgomery online, you should Google him and his name will come up. He's on Twitter at Guy yeah. underscore Mont and Instagram. Yep. It's same handle, different content, except for occasionally when there's crossover. And I'm Tim underscore Bat and uh, Tim Bat NZ on Instagram. I don't know why I'm shouting out the Gotta social media. Gotta get that the, synchronicity going, ever. my man. <laughs> it just felt right. It felt like the thing to do. Um, so as you all know, the, we we so thus completes the era of Breen. The age of Breen is over now. We've been freed from its prison, which means we're throwing it back the to Breen. the Deciders Club. <laughs> Uh, those who are supporting our plight on Patreon, which I've got to say right now um, is the only thing keeping my rent paid. Uh, so fucking good shout to you. Um, support us on Patreon. If you pay over $10, you get to pick which movie Guy and I will be subjected to next. And $5, you get to listen to that content as soon as we record it and it comes out. And then eventually we throw it uh, onto onto the, the main podcast stream later down the track. Bloody also, good stuff. At, at the time of speaking, I haven't cut it up just yet, but we do we do have that amazing uh, overlooked and undercooked project coming out. So keep your eyes peeled yeah. and your ears I, frosty. I look forward to the release of that. Uh, I'd like to end, I'd like to end uh, this record with a quote from the film the last thing neil breen said and double down and then after that i will uh, i will say my own thing uh just to commemorate this period of our lives so the final thing neil breen says and double down forgive me it had to be this way <laughs> which is a beautiful summation of his uh efforts and what i would like to say to you tim and to those of you listening at home is the breen is dead long live the breen Oh! <laughs>